uh, your goodness. Thanks for the sunshine, Lord. Thanks for um, just reminding us of how, what a beautiful place that you have given us to to live in, and Lord, also the beautiful people that we get to uh, know and, and serve together, uh, a holy God alongside. So Lord, we thank you so much. Bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, just as we're, we're going to unpack this idea of rest a little bit more in chapter 4, now some of the reasons that we're seeing this unpacking is, is again, to the Hebrew mind, to the Jewish mind, and I would say even to our mind to some degree, we don't rest well. And we love to look to our works to feel a sense of accomplishment. If you look at my office um, after a Monday, I spend Monday morning writing everything down that I want to accomplish for the week. And it could be something as simple as I got to email this person or whatever, but I'm to the point now where I don't remember everything, right? And so, and so what I do is, and then I'll add things. Sometimes I'll do them and I'll write them down and cross them off, right? Um, but I can look at that at the end twofold to go, what have I missed? Or look at what I've accomplished. Um, and so that's just kind of how we're wired, right? I mean, wasn't it great to get the flowers out? Look at the beautiful flowers. You've been wanting to do that for a long time, right? Now you've got to do it. And whoo, look at, look at what, you know, even though it's beautiful, but we finally got to accomplish that. And the same is with our religious uh, tendencies. We want to work to earn approval. Again, it's a system we're born into, right? We're born into behavioralism. If you do this, you get this. If you perform this way, you get rewarded this way. If you don't, you don't. And it's hard because as Christian parents especially, um, how do you raise your kids um, without a, a huge emphasis on behavioralism, right? Because that's really what it is a lot of times is you do this and you get rewarded. Uh, when our kids were out um, and the, the three-year-old was, was not making a great response, um, my son kept at, talking to him about, um, you know, what are you choosing? Do you want to choose life that things would go well with you or do you want to disobey? And so, and I'm like, well, I wouldn't use those terms with my kids, but it's his kids, so whatever, right? But, but it gave him the, the go, okay, what am I doing? Am I doing, am I obeying to a point where I can live in the blessing of my father by obeying what he's asked me to do? Or am I going to continue down the road of disobedience, which leads to consequences and punishment? And so we have this um, in just innate ability to say, if I do something well, I'm going to be rewarded. The challenge with that in faith is it doesn't always work that way. Um, a lot of times you can be faithful to the Lord. You can, you can uh, you know, study his word and then find out that, that bad things befall even those people. Right. Things will happen where, uh, you know, when the 2008 with the big crash in real estate, a lot of faithful pastors lost their homes in certain areas because they couldn't afford them anymore. And so you go, why is that? That's not a reward for someone who's serving in the ministry. Um, and so we realize that there is something outside of ourselves because we are out of control. Did you know that you're not in control of everything? Just it's easier if you settle that right away. And so when we look at our religious thing, to the Jewish mind, if I just do X, Y, and Z, and then 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way up to 613, right? If I do all those things, 
then I've done everything okay. And that leads us to the law showing us our great need to rest because we can't rest from the works of eternal life. We have to receive the work of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so even though we feel like we're talking about this idea of rest over and over again, we need to realize our tendency is to not rest in the finished work of Christ. Our tendency is to go, well, okay, you say you believe, but now I want you to show me that you believe. And there's an element of that that's true, but at the same time, we have to realize I show forth the fact that I've received because of who I am, not to be, try to be who God says I am. So it's a, it's a fine line and we play with that. So someone, if they're so kind, read Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Out loud, of course. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter the re that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not, would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from him, from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and, of, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All right, thank you. So, some initial observations. Well, society's changed the day of rest. It used to be on Sundays everything was closed. Okay, okay. Well, I guess we're going to discuss this more, but you have to define what is meant by rest. Okay. I mean, physical rest is one thing, but I don't think that's all that's <laughs> talked about. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. See. Well, isn't that what Sunday was for? We were supposed to um, um, not, not only rest, but, you know, go to church and... Okay, well... Historically, that's the way it worked, yeah. Well, technically, the Sabbath is sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. That would be considered 
Sabbath, Sabbath day rest. Um, when the church started, because it was filled with a lot of Jews, um, some of the reason they decided to start on Sundays um, was because there's still Jews who would go and observe Jewish religion on sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, but they still wanted to meet with Christians because the Jewish law was not believing in Jesus as the Messiah. And so Jesus is thought to have been raised on Sunday. And so because, which would make sense being a good Jew, he couldn't do any work on Saturday. The raising from the dead apparently is a lot of work. Um, And so Sunday became the the, the day of, of the beginning of church, not necessarily the Sabbath. So what's interesting is, to, to Harold's point, there was a time, you're right, where the church observed a day of rest. Now, we are in a culture, to your point, Connie, where Sundays is another day, right? But it doesn't stop the deal. The, so how do we wrestle with God desires a Sabbath rest from us, right? How do we, how do we is it, what's the real meaning behind a Sabbath rest? So we'll get into that a little bit, Steve. I was just thinking of the actual uh, inculcation or the relief, uh, the uh, revealing of a Sabbath day rest on the seventh day over there. Uh, man given in his own attempts to live out life. It would, I don't think he can rest. It's impossible for without God initiating it and providing it. Man would never think of it. Yeah, I do miss the days, though, as Connie was saying, to where... There wasn't a whole lot going on on Sundays because I think it's good for us to to relax and and to breathe a little bit and to to not be so busy. I was right? just saying just busy, but I think it's a, it's a it's a real indication of how much in our society we place on the importance of God in our lives. We absolutely it tells me from our society that rarely do I hear the mention of a, a accountability to God or responsibility to a higher power. <clears throat> Or, uh, rarely do I ever hear that. Sharon had a point here. Yeah. Being raised on a farm. Yeah. There was no rest. Right. But we did either go to church or we went out of our normal everyday thing. Mm-hmm. But when you have the cow sitting there looking at you and saying, my <laughs> bag hurts. <laughs> and the chickens are saying, uh, we'd like to eat. Yeah. You know. There is no rest as far as that goes, but this isn't talking about that kind of rest. Well, and so you're bringing up a point is that we fill our lives with busyness. The Jews would fill their lives with busyness about keeping the law. Now, what's important about this is verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. So then it leads us to the next question. What is the rest that the author is addressing? So his kingdom here on earth. Okay. I mean, for now, his kingdom is here on earth. Mm-hmm. And it will be a kingdom in heaven. Okay. Go ahead, Lee. I was just going to say it's probably uh, 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 you're relieved of the struggle of the from or uh, resting from that struggle for survival. Okay. Rather than worrying about whether 
uh, you know, you're going to milk the cows or mm-hmm. feed the chickens or peel the potatoes or whatever. So there's the practical, hey, God's, I'm God's child. He's taking care of me. I don't have to strive because he's going to do that. Okay. Uh, it's for you. Uh, But I think if we look at verse 3, let's look at the whole of verse 3. For we who have believed enter the rest. As he had said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So if we believe but we enter rest, what does that next phrase indicate to us? Steve? Entering that rest over there, and God is initiating the rest, and uh, it's a he, he's using Joshua over there for what is it going to the promised land? But uh, don't get ahead of us. Okay. <laughs> so in contrast, in my wrath I swore they shall not enter my rest. But then he says, but those of us, of us who have believed enter that rest. So what is he? What is he clearly showing there? Faith. Okay. And what does that do for us? Why? Because we believe. Okay. We're going to enter into, going to enter into a greater rest and peace than we've ever known. Okay. Which, spiritual warfare. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Which yeah. is outside of the wrath of God. Right? We are no longer under the wrath of God because of our belief. And, and, the, and the Apostle Paul mentions it. Um, that's where I, and then the Apostle John uses the word propitiation, which means wrath appeasing sacrifice. Um, and so the, the author of Hebrews is like, you guys need to understand, there is a huge thing that Christ has done. And when we believe it, it means it's done, right? It's done. There's nothing else for you to do other than believe. And then you can look at the words of Jesus as that's the work of God that you believe. We can't even say Jesus is Lord without the Spirit's help. Right. And, so, and so this is a huge thing for the Jewish mind, and I really think for our minds too, because often we think we have to do stuff, only to find ourselves frustrated, at least me. If I think i got to do stuff, I like to do stuff, don't get me wrong, but if I think I have to do that at, for God to, to look favorably upon me, um, I am sorely mistaken. Now, if God is asking me to do something and I'm not doing it, that's a different conversation, right? That's a totally different conversation. Um, but as far as salvation, and this was all that mattered for the Jews, was am I in or am I out, right? I'm in because of what I do. Author of Hebrews is saying, no, you're not. You're in because of what God has done. So... Um, so this rest, then, that the author is speaking of is the eternal rest of working for salvation, um, that Christ has done it all. Now, this is hard for us because we want to do stuff, right? It's hard for us. There's a faith battle that happens continually, um, maybe just more for me than all of you, but the devil likes to say, no, you got to do more. You know, you, you need to do stuff, um, you know, but I can tell you this, uh, there's no more favor upon any of you just because you come to church all the time. Are you blessed because you come to church? I hope so. Right? Are you blessed in the fellowship? I hope so. Is it beneficial for you to know and be assured of the promises of God? I hope so. 
right? But there are people, which is hard. This is a difficult one for me, talking about not putting the, uh, the shopping carts away. Um, it's difficult for me. It's like, well, why don't you show up and why don't you avail yourself to the fellowship of believers and, and, and be built up in your faith? Um, I don't have the answer to that. I'm too weak, so God has put me in ministry, so I have to stay at the church, right? And so I'm blessed by that. Um, and it's good, and, and I need it. Uh, so it's just one of those things we have to wrestle with. Um, but if someone is outside and not proclaiming, professing Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, it's not us to say, well, you don't do these things, so you're not saved. That's not ours. When we talk about salvation, it is God and God alone. So what seems to be the key to apprehending the rest that God desires for you? Verse 2 seems to be a, a, a pivotal thing. Uh, did not profit them. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as them. But the word of God they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith to those who have heard it, but for who we believe do enter that rest. As I say, that it seems to be that there's a place where God is initiating a supernatural revelation that, there, that you're accountable. I'm, I'm offering this to you. You don't have to enter it, but it would be wise to enter it because it's for your benefit. Okay. So what's the key to apprehending that rest? It would be belief. Okay, belief. Faith. Okay. Remember your baptism every day. That okay. Sort of thing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. How do you get here? Right. Yeah. Um, and we look at the 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 contrast is those who didn't enter were disobedient. So there's an obedience factor here, right? That that God is calling us to receive, and He's enabling us to apprehend that by faith. But some say, "No, I don't want to," and that's disobedience. Others say, okay, probably not that easy, <laughs> but, but okay, this makes sense. Every, everything I've tried is not working. Everything that I'm doing is, is in, in the flesh is not, is not giving me rest. Um, that's why you do look at some of those religions who teach works-oriented, which is most religions except for the true Christian faith that says God has done it all. Most other religions are you have to get to a godlike status, right? And so the question is, at the end of the day, have you done enough? Right? And I think we struggle with that too. At the end of the day, you look at all your failings and go, oh man, I'm not a very good Christian today. And it's like, your Christianity has nothing to do with how you perform that day. But at the same time, God does, want, is, does invite you in to be part of what he's doing, Right? Um, and so there's this challenge that we have, this battle, this, this, uh, that we're in. So why do you think the author then appeals to Joshua? So if you know the history, Joshua was the leader who finally led the people into the promised land. Correct. Since Moses did not. Moses had some trouble. <laughs> okay. And actually, Joshua, I guess, is really just Jesus. Correct. In terms of the actual name. Actual name. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So again, what we do is we, we, we extrapolate from the Old Testament these pictures of complete fulfillment in Christ. Now what's interesting is, if, if, you, if you take a look at their entrance into the Promised Land, did all the tribes of Israel enter the Promised Land? No. There were a tribe and a half that said, no thanks, we'll, we like it over here. We'll stay out here. Um, and I think it's a good picture for us to go, some people just don't want it. Some people are going to go, okay, no thank you. Oh. Was there a commitment on the tribe and a half that didn't go across? While they were taking land, the, the men had to go over there and battle. Well, they were supposed and, to go help battle, but I know that I was to say that, that uh, there was what I'm saying is they were taking the land. There were there was a spiritual warfare going on as there is today over there, where people just refused to engage. I mean, the soccer games on Thursday and no or Sunday too, uh, no priority of looking for Christ. Yeah. We just, yeah. We just, we don't, we don't put a priority on God anymore that we should. Yeah, but those who entered in miraculously received the spoils of the land. Just like we, when we enter in, it's all, all a picture of fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Right? That was a temporary thing for the people of Israel. All foreshadowing that we need something more permanent. This was great for a time, but we need something more permanent. Um, and we see that after Joshua, they entered the land... Um, the, just the, the, the raising up of the religious leaders and how they continued to add more things to what they needed to do and more things and more things and more things um, to where, you know, all of us would be like, well, that's a great list, but no thank you. Uh, and that's really what Jesus came. That's why he was so popular is because he was loving people and accepting them and preaching a gospel that was outside of keeping rules and regulations and freeing the people. Um, and again, we have the tendency to stay in our box. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. Give me a list. It's a lot easier. Then at least I know. Instead of going, no, it's by faith that we enter that rest. And it's a process, right? I mean, there's days I enter the rest. There's days that I struggle with entering the rest. And, and uh, you know, it's a process to where, okay, God has done it all. It doesn't mean I'm a lazy bum. But now I work from the fact that I'm resting, not to try to be approved. So how does Joshua, and then we'll, I kind of answered this, but I want, I want to hear your thoughts on it. But how does Joshua foreshadow the complete work of God in Christ? Complete and finally, right? Complete rest. You know, because even when they went into the land, uh, uh, the promised land, there were moments that they had to defend their land. Um, and they had to be on guard and they had to protect. 
Um, now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't help one another protect what God has done. And like when you present your child for baptism, it's your job to protect that seed of faith, right? It's the church's job to help people grow in their faith and to protect that. But as far as, as salvation goes, it's permanent and it's done. Whereas the people in Joshua's time didn't have that assurance. They had moments of great joy, um, great celebration. Um, but they were always, and again, we're always in a spiritual battle, but we battle from the point of victory. It's been won. So we don't have to battle it like, oh, I hope I, I hope I come through with stronger faith. No, you're going to come through with stronger faith because God has promised that. And he, he is there for you. He's the one that's faithful. And so we hold on to him. So what do you think we should strive to enter the rest that is addressed here? Why do you think we should, drive, should strive to enter the rest that is addressed here? Says heaven. Okay. Eternal rest with God. That sounds, sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beats the alternative for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the alternative, not so good. Well, if we strive for rest here on earth, maybe our life will be a little bit easier. Right. Right. No, you're right. I mean, I think that's what we encourage one of the do is, hey, let's rest in the work of Jesus. Let's not freak out about things. And, and we get tried all the time. We all, you know, just when you, well, I'm just speaking about myself, maybe. But just when you think you have this great faith or, OK, I'm, I'm settled and Jesus has everything in control. Something out of the blue comes up and reveals that I'm not totally trusting the Lord with everything. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's good for me to have people that, that remind me. Hey, God is God has not left you. He hasn't forsaken you. Um, quit looking at your circumstances to think that you know what's going on. I was just saying that over here, uh, portion of three says, "So I swore in my wrath they would not enter my rest because they didn't mix with it." Although the works were finished from the foundations of the world, I was just going to say it's a gift given. Uh, the already pre- it's almost like salvation before Christ came, before the foundations of the world. Salvation's already being thought out in the heart and mind of God and uh, same with this provision here and if we don't end the rest he's given it as a gift we've chosen to walk away from it it's a provision that's life giving and we don't want to choose life we would rather be like you said right with our list than walking in faith and believing what God is doing yeah and so I mean we live in the to use good Lutheran term for us the now but not yet (laughs) so we do have this element of rest now right um, but we know there's still an element to what Meg was saying of rest that's going to be even greater than the moments of rest we experience on earth. Um, and and I, my hope that the older we get, especially older in the Lord, the more we just go, okay, this too shall pass. Whatever you're going through, God has been faithful. I mean, you know, and that's why it's good uh, for, you know, they set up an Ebenezer stone when they crossed through the... the um, what river, what river was Jordan. that? Jordan River. Mm-hmm. They set up an Ebenezer stone, and that's so when they would walk by it, they could tell their kids, look how God was faithful. And so it's important for us to go to, to, and that's why journaling, I think, can be good for some people, but it's important for us when those times of trial come to go, wait a second, what has God delivered me from in the past? And he is faithful, always faithful to deliver. And so it's good sometimes when you come through what I would call hiccups, to go, eh, God's been faithful in something much bigger than this. So. As humans, we're 
human nature, we get complacent. Mm, yeah. We get very complacent. Yeah, he did these great works for us, and then, okay, everything's great, and you just go along with life, and you fall out of obedience, and pretty soon he slaps you alongside the head, and something comes up. <laughs> so you are brought back to your reality of, oh, okay, yeah. Well, there's that truth, but I think there's also the truth that, that you know, when you present yourself, say, Lord, I, I want you to shine in my life. I want you to be everything. I, I'm a living sacrifice for you. That's my desire. That's the desire of my heart. I want you to be glorified. Um, there's just going to be things that come in your life where he can be glorified in a unique way that he can't be if just things go along normally. Um, and so you just sit there and you go, okay, um, you know, the Lord is, is in control. And to, to Meg's point, you know, it, which is very akin to, to, to Paul, the Apostle Paul, to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. That would be much better for me, right? But until God sees that it's that time, there's, there's, it's benefit for me to be here. Um, and sometimes we can't see that benefit, right? And so, and so um, but, you know, we realize that, that uh, as long as we still have breath, because we are God's children, we are representing him to a dying world. Um, and that's can be troublesome. So how does Hebrews 12, 4, 12, and 13 explain the reason we look for that rest that only God can give? Well, God's word is alive and active. It was not just then, it's now. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people don't like this, this section of scripture here. It's not exactly comforting, you know. There's, I mean, it is, but it's, it's not. <laughs> you know, there's this bit right here that you know, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Mm-hmm. And then, like just a little bit later, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah, is the essential element of it. You can't hide from your own sin, even though we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and we're good. He still knows because mm-hmm. we still suck. Right. <laughs> and Amen. You, know, you cannot hide from that. Right, but, but, his, but his word says, because of belief, you've entered my rest. Yeah. So, and you don't have wrath on you anymore. Right. So, and he, and he knows everything. Well, you are and you aren't, right? Yeah. You know, what we're left with in the flesh still struggles, uh, with, you know, to sin all the time. Yeah. But that's why the word tells us, but you're a new creation in Christ. Right, and so you go. Okay, because of the work of Christ, this is who I am. This is how I feel, and <laughs> this is what I know. But my identity is no longer only this. My identity is now this, and then that's the battle. So, Maybe that's the double-edged sword part. Yeah. Right, and the one side of it is you're you're sanctified in Christ. The other side of it is you. The sin is. You don't deserve it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, in this part where it says you're uh, you're laid bare before the eyes of Him. Refer, there are no fig leaves that refers us back to the garden. Fast food is required way more fig leaves. So. <laughs> but it also goes back to the verses in Isaiah 55. Is that before 
Isaiah 55, the word of God is won't return void. Right. It will do what it was sent yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah, so it's 8 through 12. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts for... They're higher, but my word will not return void, but it will do my intended purpose. So the double-edged sword is condemnation and salvation. Right? You've got both sides. Mark, did you say something? I, I thought, no. Oh, I, no, he just did telekinesis. We're fine. I was say that, it was uh, good, Mark. Uh, it says, The sinners and thoughts and intents of the heart, and there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom it must give an account. I was just going to say that the, the, the double, one of the double-edged swords over there is as Americans, well, as, as human beings, where we just assume that the goofiness that we do is hidden to the degree that God can't see us. I mean, it's almost like an ostrich sticking his head in the ground saying, hey, I'm safe. I can't see anybody, so I'm okay. We, we're, we're stupid. But this is why it's important for us to encourage one another to strive into that rest, right? Because we will always feel like failures because why number one we are but number two that is in the flesh but number two we like we love ourselves so if i can if i can like you go it always astounds me when i get around a bunch of guys or you go to men's retreat and they start talking about their greatest sins like a badge of honor i'm like you guys are just talking about what idiots you are so (laughs) I mean, how are you proud of it? But that's just the way, but we want to focus on ourselves, right? That's our, that's our tendency, even if it's negative stuff. Look at you, think of young children. Um, young children who aren't getting enough attention, they will get attention. And sometimes, well, in one way or the other, and, and sometimes it's, it's, it's negative attention. But they're getting the attention because it's about them. And, and, and we are about us. At the end of the day, it's about us. And so that's the balance we have here. No, but I want to rest in what Christ has done and not in how horrible I am. Because when I look at myself, I look at Romans chapter 7. Oh, we have time. Let's go to Romans 7. Because this is the balance between the the double-edged sword. Romans 7, beginning at verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. None of us have ever said that. For I do do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and make me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord so we can stop right there and go we are left with this um how many of you and you don't no show of hands but get up and go today i'm going to treat everybody well None of the words that come out of my mouth are going to be snippy or negative. Everything's going to be... I'm going to pause before I speak. 
right? I would, I would, I would tell you, don't do that. Uh, and, and then you find out in just a moment that sin is at the door, and you're like, hmm. And that's where you go to a oh, man makes plans and God laughs. But anyway, so you, but, but I think the point is, is that we realize that my hope is not in my ability to do anything. My hope is in thanks be to God in Christ. And so I love the fact of this dual edged sword, right? That reveals, yeah, I am so desperate. I need to focus on the spirit that God has given me not on my ability, right? Because we want to feel like we've done something. And it's not that we walk around, because this, this is another tendency. We don't walk around all the time and go, oh, I'm such a poor, miserable sinner all the time. Th- that's not what God's asking either. God's like, recognize who you are without Jesus, but then look at what God has done and now who you are because of Jesus. And you don't have to give in to that anymore. Not that we don't from time to time, but you don't have to. Right? You don't have to. Like you can be in a bad mood for a moment and go, Lord, help me. And he can change it. And he does. And he has. You can, well, I don't want to get, that's an example I'm going to use in the sermon today. So never mind. You, no previews. Yeah, don't get ahead of myself. So back to Hebrews chapter 4, uh, 14 through 16. Would somebody read those, please? Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed throughout uh, through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, so he just said, no creature is hidden from the word of God, which some of us can go, that's daunting. But at the same time we go, but yet, even though I'm not hidden, God still accepts me because of Jesus Christ, right? So how does Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 explain the work of Jesus on our behalf? Okay. He, we aren't faced with anything <clears throat> that he didn't face. He, he knows. He's watching our shoes, and he knows. Right, so we can't sit there and say, well, God doesn't have any idea. Right. Oh, well, no, actually, he does. We have no excuse. Yet, without sin. Yes. So we have that hope, right, that he did it without sin. And, and again, to the Jewish mind, the high priest was the intermediary for them. Once a year, go into the Holy Holies, make the atonement for the people, and then come out once a year. And so they were always looking to somebody else to make atonement for them. Well, now we have Jesus who forever lives to make intercession for us. And so now we don't have to wait once a year. And he is the greater high priest because he has done it once and for all. And it's not just one time a year. It's in perpetuity all the time. Right? And so we can hold on to that. And that goes back to now we can enter that rest because of belief. Because Jesus intercedes for us. What a beautiful thing for us to know. So well, how does that then bring us comfort? He says also that he's been tempted in all ways without sin. Okay. We have all the emotions and uh, uh, 
vicissitudes and issues that we face, he is some way, somehow, tasted it, conquered it, and we have a high priest that understands, sympathizes, and can, has dealt with that issue. And sometimes, though, that's the problem. Right? Is that we go, well, he's without sin. He doesn't want anything to do with me. You know, he doesn't, I don't really relate to him. He doesn't really relate to me. Because, again, we're focusing on ourselves. Instead of going, wait a second. He he has done everything yet without sin. And so my faith is in him who has made me sinless before the Lord. Mm -hmm. Even though I find myself still struggling with sin. I'm a saint who still struggles with sin, right? But sin is not my identity anymore. So what are some challenges to approaching the throne of grace? I say only one. Okay. Believe. Okay, belief. No, actually, that's good. That's it. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Confess that you... Sinned and aren't right. worthy. I mean, you can approach, but you have to approach humbly or with humility, mm-hmm. with that attitude, mm-hmm. not an arrogant attitude. Mm-hmm. But we got to be careful that we understand it's not something that we can do to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. well, it does boil down to belief, right? Yeah. So we're talking about humility. Do I believe I need it? Do I believe it's readily accessible? And do I believe he desires it? Verse 16 says, Let us therefore come, uh, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find, obtain mercy and find into Harold's uh, uh, point over there of uh, uh, finding mercy. But let us come boldly. I was just going to say, I, I don't know too many people that uh, are thinking in the morning, I need to come boldly over there and access God. There's just... A lot of times, you know, we don't deserve it or the, the issue that you find yourself in, it, it's, uh, it's, it's tough to come boldly. Yeah, again, we self-focus. I don't deserve this. Well, yeah, you don't. I mean, let's agree. With, we don't deserve any of it. But God loves to give mercy, loves to extend grace. And grace is, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, that wrath-appeasing peace that we enter in. And so we go boldly because of the rest that Jesus has accomplished for us. And I think sometimes we we have the tendency to to paint this picture of God as an angry, vengeful God, rather than a father who just wants his kids to hang out on his lap, right? And to play around his feet. Um, and you, you, you know, you watch little kids, and they can ask. They, they don't. They don't mind coming and asking their dad of stuff that's ridiculous. I know your boys never ask ridiculous things of you, right? <laughs> um, uh, so maybe I shouldn't share this story. I'll share. So we were golfing with my grandson, who's three, and my son. And my grandson kept trying to get my son to smoke a cigar. Daddy, smoke a cigar, like for three holes, insistent. He's like, no, I don't want to right now. And then finally my son goes, you think if I smoke one, I'm going to let you try it? He goes, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, I mean, I think you look at that and you go, 
he had no problem continuing to say, hey, I want you to do this, I want you to do this, but there was an ulterior motive, you know. And fortunately, my son kind of caught on to it, but then there would have been a whole different conversation. But, but the whole point is, is that, that there's no, they don't mind, kids don't mind coming and asking their parents, especially when they're young. When they get older, there's, because they realize that's a dumb request or, or something. But, but, you know, kids will ask parents anything, you know, let me drive the car. Let's go do this. You know, no, let's not. There's a reason why you can't yet, right? So I think that, that we need to remember we're children of God. We are at rest with God, at peace with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so because of that work, we're his children, and we can approach him as children without fear of retribution. And, and even if I've asked some dumb things to the Lord before, and he just smiles and says, yeah, that's not good for you. <laughs> and, and so, no, is, is the answer. And that's okay. And it goes back to, to then Delane's point. Do I believe that it's okay when he says no? Do I believe that he has my interest and my best interest at heart? And so we pray, Lord, help us believe. Lord, thank you for us finishing a whole chapter. Wow. Lord, and we just pray that you would continue to help us to have that belief, that we would encourage one another to rest in the finished work of Christ, and then the joy that comes from being at peace with you because of him is just can't be explained. As this, the old hymn says, it's unspeakable, and as Colossians says, it's unspeakable and full of glory. So, Lord, thank you so much. Bless the rest of our day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.